Revelation 22, verse 13. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh the lie, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let that, him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the waters of life freely. Revelation 22 is the last chapter of the last book of the Word of God. God didn't add anything beyond that. In fact, he tells us here in verses 18, 19, no one is supposed to add anything to this. Last words are important words. Last words are remembered words. We think about the last final seven statements of Jesus on the cross. Verse 17 is the last invitation. Can you imagine before Jesus comes, so winners giving the gospel Preachers preaching the gospel and giving invitation. That being the last invitation. Never more will there be an invitation. And Jesus comes and takes the church out. Can you imagine as we've gone through the book of Revelation, there is no church during the tribulation period. There is no church to preach the gospel. There are no pastors of churches. There will be believers. They will be persecuted believers. They will be martyred believers. So the blood will flow in the streets. But there'll be no church. Can you imagine the last invitation that will occur before the Lord Jesus Christ takes us out of this earth? And we see this evening that verses 17, this very last invitation. I pray tonight as we look at the scriptures, and we look at these last final things that God will stir our hearts and love Jesus Christ even more and be appreciative of the ministry that he's given to us. Father, bless your word this, this evening. The Bible says, blessed are they that keep the commandments of God. And we know that if the Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We know that your commandments are not grievous to us. And there's a lot of things we have to work through in our lives. There are fears. There's apprehensions. There's difficulties. There's trials. There's discouragements, as we saw this evening, this morning. And tonight, it's just really ourselves. Father, I pray that you crucify my old flesh. I pray for the anointing, the saturation, the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. Let me preach for the liberty of the Holy Ghost. David prayed in Psalms 92.10, My horn shall be like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He set me to bind the brokenhearted, to open the prison doors to them that are bound. 
proclaim liberty to them that are captive, to give beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. And I pray for that this evening. I pray for beyond that. I pray for freshness of God. I thank you that the anointing that we've received to him and that I've received to him abideth in us. And we need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing is truth and no lie, even as we've been taught, so shall we abide in him. Father, we pray this evening for a church that is fired up, a people that are God to set ablaze, a people that want to do something great for God. We'll thank you for what you'll do now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated at home right now. You'll notice in your King James Version Bible that at the conclusion of all these verses, verse 21 is the very last verse, and it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then outside of that, you'll notice that the King James translators and your Bible, they have the two words, the end. The end tells us there's a conclusion of a good story, of a good book. It's a statement that informs the reader that the story has reached its end, its conclusion, its final point. There is no more. It's a conclusion. In Revelation 22, notice, we see the last insight. The last insight that God gives us about things to come. We began chapter 1 in Revelation by understanding it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of Harold Camping. It's not the revelation of some false prophet. It's the revelation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not even the revelation of the Apostle John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said of things to come. The last insight. Here in Revelation 22, we see the last instruction. Here in Revelation 22, we see the last invitation. And here in Revelation 22, we're going to be given a thought. We're going to end with the last individual. Can you imagine with me who will be the last person to trust Jesus Christ as Savior before we're all taken out of this world? I want you to notice some things beginning with verse 6 about this passage of Scripture as we try to close it out, wrap it up, and come to a conclusion about all the things. We're going to wrap up everything that we've learned about prophecy, everything we've learned about the seals, and everything we've learned about the judgments, and everything we've learned about the Spirit of God, and everything we've learned about the Antichrist, but most importantly, everything we learn about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we're not very careful, we can get all caught up with who the beast is, and the, and the, the mark of the beast, and the tribulation, and the judgment. I want tell you, greater than all those things is Jesus Christ, who it's all about. Number one, I want you to notice in verses 7, 12, and 20, number one, I want you to see the preparation. In verse 7, here's what our Lord says, behold, which means you better look, you better be ready, I come quickly. In verse 12, and behold, I come quickly. Verse 20, he which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. The most important thought about tonight, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And the adjective, the adjective, the adverb he uses to describe his coming, notice is the word quickly. Quickly is the Greek word that's pronounced taku. Jesus is coming suddenly. He's going to come unannounced. He's going to come impromptu. He's going to come unanticipated. There will be no prior notice. He will come quickly or suddenly. Jesus will come speedily. Notice 1 Corinthians 15.52. When Jesus said, I come quickly, he incorporates the thought that we're given in 1 Corinthians 15.52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Twinkling of an eye is... 
described as being one billionth of a second. I don't know about you, it's hard to even wrap my mind around one billionth of a second. It's faster than the speed of light. He said, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Listen, he's going to come suddenly, he's going to come speedily, he's going to come soon. We believe in the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there's anything I've tried to reinforce to our preaching, we, are, we, we believe that we're going up before the tribulation. We are pre-tribulation believers. Get that in your mind. We're not mid-rapture. We're not pre-rapture. We are pre-trib-rapture. You need to say amen to that today, amen? His coming is imminent. He could come at any time. His coming may be today. Frank Garlock wrote the wonderful words of song. My Lord will come. It may be soon. It could be morning, night or noon. Till then I'll watch and work and pray. When he comes, I'll go home there to stay. My Lord will come. I know not when, but this is sure. He'll come again. With eager eyes, I look for him. In his presence, new joy will begin. Maybe today. My Lord will come for me. Maybe today, my Savior, I shall see. Maybe today, from sin, I shall be free. Jesus will come and I will go home. It may be today. Listen, Jesus is coming quickly. Jesus coming demands preparation. Jesus coming demands that you and I are prepared and ready. Whenever I'm going to make a, a trip, if I'm going to be long for a long period of time, to me, which is longer than five nights, I typically make out a list of everything I'm going to need. I have some backup things to think about, just trying to think of all the things I'm going to need. If I'm going to go on a preaching trip, I think about all the sermon notes I need to have. I try to identify up to 20, 25 different sermons for different things, and different training opportunities. I try to think about what I'm going to need if I get sick or whatever there. I mean, I try to think through everything. I am prepared to go on a long trip. You need to be prepared to go on a long trip. We must understand Jesus coming to preparation. We're not to sit around. We're not to wait around and think that it's not going to happen. They get lazy about things. We must be prepared for Jesus coming. A good little girl went to church one day. Sunday school got up. Sunday school teacher got up. It was a great school teacher. And she got up and started talking about the rapture and the coming of Christ. And this is all new to the little girl. She had never heard it before. And so she was just all, just, you know, just really excited about that, about Jesus coming. And, and so she got home and her mother said, honey, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And she said, I learned that Jesus is coming. She says, mommy, do you believe Jesus will come back? And her mother said, yes, dear, I do. I believe he'll come back. And she said, mommy, do you believe he'll come home today? He'll come for us today. And she said, yes, I believe he'll come home for today. And she said, do you think he could even come in a few minutes? And she said, yes, I believe he'll come in a few minutes. And the little girl thought for a minute. She pulled out a little comb and she said, mama, would you comb my hair? The little girl had an idea about preparation. I think we need to be ready that we're prepared. Listen, the last thing you want to do is Jesus comes and you're caught by surprise. You're caught in an awkward moment, in an awkward relationship, an awkward situation. You don't want to be caught off guard. You want to be found ready and waiting for Jesus Christ to come. I'm saying this evening that the preparation of Jesus for Jesus coming must be now. Are you prepared for his coming? Are you doing all that you can? Are you living for God as you should be? Are you standing for Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins through the day? Are you witnessing? and praying to win souls? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you prepared this morning, this evening, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? There's the preparation. Number two, would you notice there's the priority? Notice verse 7. Behold, I come quickly, and notice this. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to enter to the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. 
May 19, 1780 in Hartford, Connecticut. It was one of the eeriest days in American history. You and I in the Bay Area can identify with that because uh, just not too many days ago with the fires that were going on around California, our skies had a very eerie, and if I can use this word, judgmental type color. It had an orange hue to it, darkness, ashes on the cars, ashes on the ground. On May 19, 1780, Congress had assembled the House of Representatives. The sky was very, went from blue to gray to darkness at noon. Men were running in and out of the streets. They were frantic. The thought that consumed everybody there and up there in Hartford, Connecticut, it could be the judgment of God is upon our nation. As the House of Representatives were getting a little antsy, people were looking out the window and coming back to session, looking out the window, coming back to session. Several of the House of Representatives, uh, the congressmen got up and asked the Speaker of the House, Colonel Davenport, they said, Sir, I think we should adjourn the meeting right now and go to our families. That we may be under the judgment of God. Things don't look very good outside. It looks like the judgment of God is going to come upon us. And Colonel Davenport very coolly and very collectively said, Sirs, gentlemen, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. He says that if it's not, there is no cause for a German. But listen to this. He says, but if it is, if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. And this evening, I want to say to you, in the midst of anarchy and riot and violence and a world that's upside down and a society that wants to do away with our police system and a society that wants to put more liberal judges in places and a society that wants to go away from God, I remind you today, it's very easy for us to be like the the proverbial ostrich and stick our head into the ground because we don't want to hear what's going on and we want to be ignorant of what's going on and we just turn off the television, we turn off the media and say, I don't want to hear what's going on and I just want to be ignorant of all those things. I want to tell you tonight, in the midst of all of those things, as, a, as God's people, we have to be concerned and realize we have a priority, we have a duty to live for Jesus Christ. We have a priority, according to verses 7 and 14, to keep the Word of God. Now, I want to give you some things about that duty and about that priority we need to fulfill tonight. Number one, we need to be consumed with His worship. Notice, if you would, verses 8 and 9. And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book, worship God. Let me tell you tonight, people are consumed with all kinds of worship. There's man worship, there's money worship, and unfortunately there's a lot of me worship. Man worship, like we see here, man worship, money worship, and me worship. I'm going to tell you tonight, we must be consumed. If Jesus is coming any moment, we must be consumed with the worship of God. We must be consumed in our hearts that we're going to give God the glory. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, we're going to worship God. Now, I was thinking through as I was listening to the choir this week and last week. Uh, they're singing. I'm thinking, okay, how soon do we think we can reassemble a choir? How soon do we think we can reassemble an orchestra? And it's, it's still very a lot of months away. Just 
speak because of just things going on our, and the way things are happening right now. But I'm anxious that we get back to a place where we can lead our church into a place of the worship of God, of pouring out our heart's expression. Honestly, I hope to have a service one day where I can just tell our people, take off your watches, forget about the clock, don't plan any appointments, don't plan anything. Let's just come and worship God. Let's just come and sing. Let's just come and say, God, how great thou art. Let's just say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Let's just say, praise him, praise him. Let's just sing about God. Let's read the scriptures. Let's worship God. Let's do like they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll get up and read the scriptures for half a day. Let's get to the place where God's people will weep when they hear the reading of the word of God. I just say today, let's get to the place like they did in the days of Josiah when they had a Passover feast, unlike any other preceding them. They had a great Passover feast, great burnt offering, where all of God's people, even little children, can bow down their hearts and get on their faces to adore the King of kings and Lord of lords. We must be consumed with the worship of God. We read Revelation 22. Notice there are many, many things said about our Lord that will bring us to that place, the worship of God. Notice we read about the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice we read about the Lord God. Notice we read about God Himself. Notice we read about Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Notice we read about the root and offspring of David. Notice we read about the bright and morning star. Notice we read about I, Jesus. I mean, I could take every one of those phrases and develop one singular message to tell you about those things that we need to worship God about tonight. We must be consumed with His worship. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as a worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. He said we must never rest until everything inside us worships God. We must be consumed with His worship. But notice in these verses, we must be compliant to His word. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings, the prophecy of this book. When we need to go back from chapter 1, and there's a lot of things he tells we need to keep, especially as he gives those words of admonition to the churches. He said in verse 16 of chapter 22, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. These things are to be preached in the churches. Not just once, not just twice. He said later on, them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. He said, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. We must be compliant to the word of God. Listen, as we're going through this COVID nonsense right now, and we're trying to get our lives together, and we're trying to pray that we're getting back to church and things like that, I want to encourage you, if there's ever time God's people need to be obedient to the word of God, it's right now. We must obey God. We must obey God rather than men. We must be obedient to the word of God. We must keep his word. We must keep his saying. We must keep the word of God. We must be compliant to his word. But notice here, we must be consumed with this worship and compliant to his word. But I want you to understand tonight, we must be committed to witnessing. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, I'm thankful tonight that our Lord keeps the door open. The Lord said, just another day, another week. The Lord's keeping it open. Because you know what? God's heart, He wants more sinners to be saved. God's heart is to answer your prayer. God's heart to see your loved ones come to Christ. God's heart is that we see your loved ones and my loved ones and our contacts and connections we're making come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. William Booth told the story. A man had worked the gold fields of Australia back in the 1800s. He found this mine. He hit a large vein. He hit it big. He hit it really big. 
He stashed some gold away, made his claim on that area, decided he was going to bring a bunch of it back with him to the United States of America. Back in those days, the only mode of travel from the intercontinentally would be by ship. He paid his fare, got on a ship. And many ships in those days, especially when they came off the coast of Australia and New Zealand, places like that there in the South Pacific, they were not very safe journeys. The little small ship he was on sprung a leak. They realized they were taking a lot of water. Make things worse, they entered into a tumultuous storm. The storm was bad. Some people got cast overboard, lost their lives. Ship was sinking. The man took his belt of gold that he had made. He strapped it on. He was a very husky man, a very strong man. He thought, you know what? I'm kind of estimating I can still see the island of Australia. I think I can, I can swim my way back. It may take me some time, but I'm going to put this belt on. And I'm going to jump overboard. I'm not going to wait for anybody else. I'm going to jump overboard. And I'm going to make my way. I'm going to swim my way all the way back to, uh, back to Australia. Just as that man was about to do so, he had that belt on, which probably weighed probably a good, good hundred pounds or so of gold on him. And he's thinking that I'm going to make it. And he's thinking, I'm just going to get back there with my gold. Just as he did, he felt a tug on his sleeve. And there's a little girl that was tugging on his sleeve. And the little girl said, sir, my mommy fell overboard. It's lost to sea. Can you help me? They'd lost the life rafts. They'd lost the lifeboats. They didn't know what to do. People were frantic. This little girl comes to this man. She just saw this big man. And she just thought, well, I guess he's going to jump overboard and swim across. She just grabbed him by the sleeve. She said, sir, can you help me? The man looked at the little girl and he looked at his belt. He looked at the little girl, looked at his belt. He took off the belt. He threw the belt into the ocean. He grabbed the little girl the best he could. He said, honey, you need to wrap your arms around my neck and do not let go. You hold me as tight as you can for your dear life. And he jumped into those, he jumped into those waters and with all that he could, he made his way all the way back to the shoreline without, needless to say, he was extremely exhausted. He thought many times he was going to drown and the girl would drown and they would die. And as he got to the beach, he crawled his way to the beach and carried the little girl with him. Heroically, he held her. They got went to the beach. He fell on his back like this and spread his arms out. He was just very thankful that he was alive. He had made it. And as he was there, he just started to go out because he had just been swimming for so long. And he felt a kiss on his cheek. And he looked up and the little girl said this, sir, thank you for saving me. And the man got up and he felt his face like this. This is what he said. That was worth more than all the gold in Australia. Can I tell you something? Winning a soul to Christ is worth more than all the gold in the world. That's what it is. We must be committed to witnessing, giving out tracts, reaching us. And listen, we had people out sowing yesterday. 2,000 homes got gospel tracts yesterday. Two weeks ago, up to 2,500 to 3,000 homes got gospel tracts. We should be committed to witnessing. There's the preparation. There's the priority. Would you notice something else? Go down to verse 11. Would you notice the prohibited? The prohibited. Now, there's some things as we think about this passage of Scripture that, are, that God says are prohibited. Notice in verses 11 and 15. Notice in verses 11 and 15. The hardened are prohibited. The hardened are prohibited. He said in verse 11, notice this. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And now it shifts. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And let him that is holy, let him be holy still. 
Now, God's giving you some contrast to people. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Sinners and saved. Sinners and saved. If you're not saved, you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you need to get saved. Amen. But what's he talking about here? He's talking a little bit deeper than that. He's telling us theologically, there's the reprobate and there's the regenerated. He's talking about that person who decides they're going to be unjust. They're going to stay filthy in their mind. He says, they're going to stay reprobate. I'm going to define that in a minute. Go down to verse 15. He describes those who will not enter into heaven. Those, and this is, this is like the third time he's, he said this. He said, for without our dogs, which is a reference to false teachers and sorcerers, and you can even incline without the word sorcery. It's a word, we get our word pharmaceutical one. It even deals with, it talks about drug dealers. He said, for without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that word whoremongers is the same word we get our fornication, uh, word fornication, that incorporates all forms of, of immorality and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. And here's what he's saying here. Unrepentant sinners who will not change, who will not repent. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate is a word referencing to, um, to metals that are worthless, that are useless. And he says here, notice Romans 132, Romans 128, it says, they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. We have that right now in our day and age. It goes on by saying they continue to do those things which are not convenient. Romans 132 says, who knowing the judgment of God, they know God's judgment. They know that the Bible speaks. They know that there's a hell. They make light of that. Who knowing the judgment of God, but they which commit such things are worthy of death. And he listed before verse 32 all the different sins. Listen, this is called the depravity of man. This is where we get our word iniquity from. This is talking about the depravity of man. He says, they that do such things or commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do they the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. He says, not only do they do it, they love what they do. Have you ever given a track to someone who says, I don't need that. I love my lifestyle and I'm not going to change. The hardened are prohibited. God gives you over to a reprobate mind. It's too late. That brother Danny Wetson, one of the great preachers of our generation, recently preached at a at, uh, Franklin Road Baptist Church. Danny Wetson's great preacher, a great man with a heart for missions. He got up and he said this recently. He said at Franklin Road Baptist Church, he said, God has given this station up over to a reprobate mind. And I say to you this evening, if a person doesn't want to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, keep trying, keep giving the gospel, but they may have come to a place where they have put themselves in a reprobate mind. Hey, recently we read about the story, you all saw the news, about a very, very well-known personality, the president of a major Bible college, not one of our stripes, but it was a major Bible college. We had to resign, was forced to resign. He was actually told to resign because of a, because of a scandal in, in, that occurred in his life. And you know, he had, this guy had it made. The problem is the institution didn't fire him. He fired himself. 
That's what happens with an unsaved person. An unsaved person who's of a reprobate mind, they've decided for themselves that they don't want to go to, that they don't want to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. Tonight, as you're watching my life, if you're not saved, God wants you to get saved. God loves you, and you need to put away your crazy thinking, your atheistic thinking, and agnostic thinking, and your arguments with God. The basic problem I found with every atheist, every agnostic, the basic problem with them is not that you don't believe in God. The problem is you don't want to submit to God. The problem is you don't want, do you don't want what God, you don't want God telling you what to do. And that's the problem with the regen, unregenerate heart. You don't want God telling you what to do. And I'm going to tell you tonight, God's going to tell you what to do. If you don't get saved, you're going to spend all of eternity in hell. Tonight, God wants you to get saved. They you making yourselves unapproved, rejected, and cast away. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we have, all of us know somebody that is just so reprobate and so hardened, they don't want to get saved. But I'm going to tell you tonight, God in His mercy, the Bible says, God is long-suffering. And sir, man, whoever you are with your heart and heart, I can't change your past, and I can't change if you were abused, and I can't change how somebody misused you, and I can't change how maybe the church disappointed you, and I can't change if you had a priest somewhere that got, that went into a moral scandal and did all that. I can't change, but I can tell you one thing. God can change your life, and God can take away your sin, and the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash away all your sins. The heart in a prohibit, but notice something else. Heresy is prohibited. Look at verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now that will put the fear of God and some people that are always bucking God. Always misinterpreting the Scriptures and trying to add something to it. You take away from God's Word, you add to God's Word, very simply, one word describes it, that's heresy. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. Now, it was tradition back in those days, whenever a book was written, they would put something like that too, especially if it's something of a spiritual nature. They would put that last phrase in there. Don't add anything to it or don't put anything or take away from it. In fact, this is so critical. We find it mentioned in Deuteronomy 4.2. Deuteronomy 12.32. In Proverbs 30, verse 6. Condemnation, judgment are those, to those who add or take from the words as well. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We have so many Christians today in the broad stream of Christianity. You are more wrapped up and concerned what the favorite commentator of the day says rather than what God says. Lord, God's word was written so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. No prophecy of God is for private interpretation, according to Peter. I'm telling you tonight, God has given us a more sure word. You can trust the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit of God to guide you into all truth because Jesus Christ himself said the Spirit will guide you into all truth. Heresy will be prohibited. I thought about this passage of Scripture a little bit this week, and I thought about a lot of books that have been written over the years that have caused controversy and debate and have misled hundreds and thousands of young pastors and unstable pastors and workers of God down the wrong path. 
John MacArthur right now, who's a, who's a strong reformist, a very strong reformed theology. We're not into reformed theology. We don't believe any points of Calvinism. Amen. I'm so anti-Calvinist, I wouldn't wear anything with Calvin Klein's name in it. Amen. Amen. You can put that on Twitter. Amen. I'm so anti-Calvin. Boy, somebody tells me, you, you want to hear what Calvin says? I said, no. That includes Calvin and Hobbes. If they even still have that cartoon, amen, you know? John MacArthur is going through the fire. And though I don't agree with his Reformed theology, I'm thankful that man, who's 81 years of age, and sharper than some guys I know that are 35, he is taking a stand because they told him on Friday, he went to court. They said, I don't even know if they called him Mr. MacArthur, Dr. MacArthur, or Pastor MacArthur. They said, you are here today, sir, because you're in contempt of court. We told you a week before, you're not supposed to have church. They had church. They had church. Grace Community Church was packed out. Four or five thousand people. No social distancing. I'm not advocating that. No face coverings. I'm not advocating that. He's been all over the media. He's been severely criticized. He made a statement this week that I thought was very significant. I was talking to a leading um, fundamentalist pastor on Friday. And he and I kind of talk about some of the issues of the day every now and then and what's going on. And, and he takes, and this friend of mine, you'd know him if I told you his name. He, he takes a very, very strong, he's very well read of, he's very well positioned all these things. I said, hey, did you see that John MacArthur, his statement this week, he was asked, this is all over. I mean, the, the number of hits on this is humongous. What do you think is the greatest danger to Christianity today? Without skipping a beat, he said, the greatest danger to Christianity today is pragmatism. Pragmatism, which many of you may not be familiar with, basically means every man, if it works, go ahead and do it. It doesn't matter what you compromise along the way. And what he's talking about, he's really referring to the church growth movement and everything pertaining to that just pragmatism that has misled many, many hundreds and thousands of men down the wrong pathway there. You know what? Pragmatism is a heresy. I could go on for days and hours on this thing. I'm just saying God is making very clear in this last chapter, the hardened are prohibited, the heresies are prohibited. We see tonight the preparation, we see tonight, we see the, 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 we see the priority, we see the prohibited. Would you notice verse 17, the proposal. Jesus is coming. We must be consumed with this worship. We must be obedient to his word. We must be committed to soul winning and witnessing. We must understand the things that God still prohibits. By the way, I'm thankful in this last chapter, it just goes to show, God didn't get soft on any of those issues. God made very clear what he said at the beginning of Genesis. I'm not soft on any of those issues there. 
And it leads us back here to verse 17. Because God's heart of heart is an invitation. God is loving on one end, strong on the other, but right there in the middle, He reaches out with loving arms and He makes a proposal, an invitation. Would you notice this evening, verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come! And let him that heareth say, Come! And let him that is a thirst come! And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This is the final invitation of the Bible. There is no other invitation after this. The word come that is used in reference to an invitation is used a minimum of 678 times. It was first, we first find it used when God told Noah and his family, come thou and all thy family into the ark. God invited his family to the ark. And when they came in and nobody followed them, the Bible says God shut the door and no man could enter in. Listen, we look at that and the comes of the Bible are all over there. Jesus invited sinners to come. Prophets of God invited sinners to come. God is still inviting people to come. It's a passionate invitation. He says, come. You can imagine the tears in Jesus' eyes. Can you imagine a preacher knowing it's his very last message, preaching his heart out with tears coming down his eyes, with passion saying, come. It's a passionate invitation. It's a powerful invitation. Can you imagine rejecting that invitation? What that means for all of eternity? Do you realize there'll never be another chance? There'll never be, never be another invitation? It's a powerful invitation. It is a personal invitation. He calls us by name. He says, come. You're watching tonight by life. If you're not saved, our Savior makes an invitation to you right now to come and get saved. Notice, first of all, the Spirit invites us. Holy Spirit was given to reprove the sinner, to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You feel that tug in your heart? That's the Holy Spirit working. You hear reverberate in your mind, you need to get saved. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. I still remember December 4th, 1971. I'm thankful there was a persistent dogginess of a soul winner sitting on that couch next to me. It may have been the only time in his entire life he had a fervency about soul winning. Thank God he had enough fervency that night. I got saved that night. Amen. And I never told anybody this, but my heart was, almost felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. He said something about hell that just got a hold of my thoughts at 9.30 at night. And for 30, the next 30 minutes, all I thought about was hell. And I thought of what if I'm wrong? God is right. And what if he's telling me about the Bible is true? He said, I'll, sp I'll spend all of eternity in hell. And I still remember that statement he said, which I use in so winning every now and then. He said, Alan, he said, if you got saved tonight, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? And I thought, that's a great thought. Worst thing happened to me, I'm going to heaven, amen? And I remember that night, more than two handfuls of time, he gave an invitation to get saved. I feel incredible guilt when I don't give a more urgent invitation. When I feel like I need to say it one more time. And one more time. And I want to say to you tonight, if you feel that tug at your heart, an uneasiness in your soul, that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. He's reproving you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit invites. But notice, would you please, verse 17. The bride or the church invites. Now, if there's one verse of Scripture, and there are many, if there's one verse of Scripture I could point to, a lot of many, that tells you the church should be evangelistic, it's right there. 
If you come out of a new evangelical mindset, evangelical mindset, I want to correct your thinking or some kind of dead church mindset. I want to tell you something. God's church is to be evangelistic. God's church is not to be event-oriented. God's church is not to be all this hoopla and fooling around and messing around and a lack of dignity to Jesus. God's purpose in assembling us, getting together, is now that we're saved. Our goal is we're going to worship God and give God the glory. The most important thing we can do is bring other people to Jesus Christ. Because you know what? That gives God a lot of glory when people get saved. The church says, come. Our process here, every service Every time we have church, every time we have a Bible study, every time we have a class, every whatever we may do, we give an invitation. We want people to come. The church says come. Listen, if the church is not saying come, then why do we even exist and why are we even here? And we get back, get back to what should be normal. A lot of things are going to change. There's going to be a very strong emphasis on evangelism. Much stronger than before. You're not comfortable with it. Now's your time to exit. It's going to be very strong. Because I feel like Noah right now, who is a preacher of righteousness, who is building an ark, and that ark was a testimony to that world that judgment was coming, and as he was hammering away, and he's putting the pitch along the side of covering all that, and that reddish pitch was symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the word that's used for pitch in the Old Testament is the same word we get our word atonement from. He was hammering away, preaching for 100 years. Not one person listened. Not one person heard him. But you know what? It didn't change Noah's preaching. It didn't change his theology. It didn't change his methods. It didn't change anything about the man. It didn't change his convictions. He kept on preaching. He kept on preaching. And you know what his great reward is? At least his family got saved. You do all you can, but at least your family gets saved. That's worth it. The Spirit invites, the bride invites, the church invites. Notice, Jesus invites. Look at the last part of verse 17. Here's the final whosoever. Whosoever will. Whosoever will. Jesus wants sinners to be saved. He doesn't exclude anybody. There's no limited atonement here. There's no irresistible grace. There's no unconditional election here. He says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know who's speaking there? Jesus. Jesus is inviting. Nobody cares for sinners more than Jesus. Nobody wants to see sinners saved more than Jesus. I just saw, I saw something on social media today from a good pastor down in Long Beach. Young man that took a church that was struggling. Got back on track and he put on there a picture of a lady in his church witnessing to another lady in the church this morning. And I almost can imagine... Brother Delaney even speaking to this with tears in his eyes. He gave the lady's name and he said, I don't think I've ever met more passionate, more courageous, or more concerned soul winner than this lady. She found this lady in the church who had come the very first time, took her side, was given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus invites. Notice verse 10. 
I said it's a, pre- I said it's a, it, it's a, it's a passionate invitation, a powerful invitation, a personal invitation. But notice verse 10, it's a pressing invitation. He saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Notice the last phrase, the time is at hand. And I say to you, brother and sister in Christ, this proposal, the time is at hand right now for sinners to be saved. Those of you who've been around a little bit, you know the name Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb was one of the great baseball players of all time. He played in 3,033 baseball games and supposedly had a lifetime batting average of 367. Ty Cobb was a very vile man. Just like a lot of athletes today. You better amen to that. Because if you have an athlete as a hero, you've got the wrong hero. Jesus needs to be your hero. Not under armor, under, under judgment. Ty Cobb was on his deathbed. A preacher came to him. I thought it was a Baptist preacher. He told Ty Cobb, sir, you need to get saved. He listened to the preacher. Mr. Cobb knew that he was dying. He said, he asked this question. Are you telling me that a lifetime of sin can be done away with a deathbed repentance? Are you telling me a lifetime of sin can be done with a deathbed repentance? He said, no, sir. I'm not telling you a lifetime of sin can be done, done away with a, de- with a deathbed repentance. I'm telling you a lifetime of sin can be done away through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's the difference. He held that preacher's hand with tears coming down his eyes. Brother Justin, he called on the name of the Lord to save him. Just like Mickey Mantle did when Bobby Richardson led him to Christ. The preacher is getting ready to leave. Listen to these words. Ty Cobb sent his deathbed. Please, sir, tell all my friends. Please tell all my friends, I'm sorry. I did this. I made this decision. I accepted Christ. Please tell them, I'm sorry. I accepted Christ in the bottom of the ninth. I wish I had done it on the top of the first. There's a proposal. As we close, would you notice the prayer? Verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quick. Did you feel the urgency of the Lord? Three times in one chapter. I mean, there's more about the rapture in verse in chapter 22 than, than, than perhaps the rest of the book. Surely I come quickly. And maybe today. Jesus closed it by saying, Amen. Which is saying, this is truth. This is truth. The next phrase is not Jesus speaking. The next phrase is the last prayer of the Apostle John that's recorded. The last proposal, the last priority, The last preparation, the last prayer. The prayer on the heart and the lips of every Christian. As you end your praying, more than in Jesus' name, amen. Must be, even so, come, Lord Jesus. 
You see, God knows that we are prone to forget. And God knows we are prone to get sideways. And God knows we're prone to get worldly. And God knows we're prone to get immersed in what we're doing. And the very last thing, we must pray every single time to remind us that Jesus is coming soon. Because He said in those words right before then, Surely I come quickly, amen. Even so... Come, Lord Jesus. Our prayer should be, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want you to come now. Lord Jesus, I want you to come so badly. Lord Jesus, would you come now? Lord Jesus, would you take us out? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Boy went to love to spend time at his grandparents' house. His grandparents' house had this massive grandfather clock. I remember as a kid growing up, my, my grandfather and grandmother having a cuckoo clock. And one of the many things the little boy enjoyed doing at his grandfather's house was listening to the grandfather clock, the, the loud chiming, I guess for lack of a better word or description, that would occur when the hands, the double hands met at 12, and when they met at 12, they'd go, dung, 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 dung. It would do that for 12 times. And he would start counting. We'd go, one, dung, dung, two, dung, three, dung, four, and on and on until he got to 12. Without a beat. Every time he went to Grandpa's house. Grandpa left one day, just a boy and grandma. The double hands came on the twelve, just like normal. The clock started chiming. Dung, dung, dung. The boy's counting. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. He thought, okay, it's twelve. It is the twelfth time, dung. But he didn't stop chiming. He went, dung again, thirteen, dung again, fourteen, dung again, fifteen, dung again, sixteen. Little boy got frantic. Grandma! 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 Kind of like my, my granddaughter does. Papa! Papa! Grandma! 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 And she said, what? What? She thought he had died or something there. She said, what happened? Grandma, the clock won't stop chiming. The clock is still ringing past 12. He said, Ma, Grandma, it's later now than it's ever been. And I'm going to tell you as I close tonight, as we close this book out, it's later now than it's ever been. The clock is ringing. There's preparation. Jesus is coming quickly. There's a priority. We must be consumed with His worship. We must be compliant to His Word. We must be committed to witnessing. There's the prohibited. There's a proposal. He wants you to get saved. There's a prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You know tonight, where you're at, would you take a moment... Bow where you're sitting. Bend your knee before God. If you didn't pray anything else tonight, just pray this with me. Even so, come Lord Jesus.